You need therapy. Do you like to laugh? Do you love movie clips? Well, if that's the case, any or all of the above, then listen in as I interview Alan C. Wright and Bradley Olson about their hit web series, Cinema Therapy. It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. Hi. Hi, Serena. <laughs> Hi. It's nice to see you here. Even though this is OWC Radio, I get to see you guys. Uh, everybody else is just going to hear your melodic voices so that we can tell your voices apart. Will you just introduce yourself to the people listening? Sure. I'm Alan Seawright. I'm a professional filmmaker and I need therapy? Am I doing that? <laughs> that seems wrong. And I'm Bradley Olson, a really good friend of Serena Catania's and a somewhat good friend of Alan's. <laughs> <laughs> and for that, I need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, both, uh, we're both professional filmmakers, Alan and I. All, all of us are. Oh, yeah, all of us all are. Us. Well, I think this is wonderful that you're doing this because, first of all, I think it's a great subject, but especially in the last few years, people seem to really need some help. It's been uh, a hard time for a lot of people. It's been a wild few years. Doesn't seem to be getting a whole lot better, which is good for my show and bad for the world. <laughs> yeah, you have what? You've got like over 800,000 subscribers now. How many subscribers? It keeps bumping up it's, every uh, time I look at it. Yeah, it's we're in a kind of a growth phase right now. I, I don't even know, 8, 8.30? Does that sound right, oh, Something like that. 8.25, yeah. 825. Wow. It'll be 900,000 by the time this comes out next week. Yeah, I, I, I Boy, bet I you. I hope so, that'd be great. Well, you have to. we have to have a party when you break a million. Oh yeah, no, we're gonna, I think we're gonna do a live stream celebration. We're gonna make Brad drink his weight in something. Lemonade. Lemonade. <laughs> Lemonade, there you go. That way we can invite the kids. So yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you guys are here. I think we have a lot to talk about. You're doing something absolutely wonderful for the community. And Alan, just tell us a little bit about the history of how all this started. That's kind of an interesting story there. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, kind of a sad story. Yeah, so uh, my college roommate, uh, Jonathan Decker, um, we worked together. He's actually the guy who got me into making movies in the first place back in college. And then, you know, we went our separate ways after school. Uh, I kept working in film in Utah with, you know, John's to New York and L.A., as one does. And uh, he went off and got a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and became a practicing uh, marriage and family therapist, a licensed marriage and family therapist. And, you know, we stayed in touch through social media and we'd run into each other sometimes. And, and you know, there was always good friendship and camaraderie. But uh, in 2019, I was getting a little bored with doing, you know, I'd been doing some like reality TV and some other stuff and it just wasn't what I wanted to, it's, it's not what got me up in the morning. It was just kind of a job. And so I reached back out to Jonathan and was like, Hey man, I really want to like, we had so much fun when we were dumb kids with no responsibilities, just making movies. Like let's figure out a way to do that again. Cause we're both established enough in our careers that maybe we can take some time and it won't cause our children to like starve. And he's like, yeah, that's great. Let's come up with something silly and fun to do. And then a couple of months later, he called me with an idea that wasn't silly at all, uh, but was still very fun. He, he wanted to do a show where the two of us talked about his passion movies and my desperate need, uh, counseling. <laughs> <laughs> and he so <laughs> what a way to tell you right uh, i want to do a show with you and by the way you need therapy <laughs> well it d full disclosure <laughs> i had gone through some really tough stuff the previous mm -hmm. two or three years uh and had finally actually sought out therapy on my own um and not from jonathan because we were friends obviously that's a conflict of interest so we couldn't do that but i i had 
unloaded to him some of the things and he was like, wow, that sounds really tough. I can't be your therapist. Here's a list of people I'd recommend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's like my daughter says, no, I don't practice that kind of law. Here's somebody who does. Exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so he, he came to me with this idea to do this show. He's like, yeah, I think maybe we could do something like this on YouTube or something. And he got about two sentences into describing what it was. And I immediately was like, I know exactly what the show is. This is going to be a channel with a million subscribers. This is going to be amazing. And it's going to be super fun because it's we get to just bro out talking about movies, which is what we love to do anyway. What I didn't realize at that time was that we were going to talk about movies and mental health journeys and characters going through stuff and that I was going to cry in nearly every episode. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> if I'd have known that, I might not have been so gung-ho about it. But um, yeah, so that was fall. No, of I, think, I think people like um, feeling what other people are feeling. They like sympathizing. They like empathizing. And when you're real... And when you're honest and open about what you're thinking and about your feelings, people like that. They're comfortable with it and it helps them. Right. I it's it. We get a lot of comments to that effect. So that's it's always gratifying to hear because it, it just feels to me like I'm a broken person <laughs> crying into the void. No, it's the same way to Brad. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, so we we um, had this idea in late 2019. I was just moving my family to Los Angeles. Uh, I had gotten a job down there. We were sort of doing a, a kind of a midlife reset for me and my wife. We'd been in Utah for 12 years at that point. Um, our kids had grown up there completely. They didn't know anything else. And we were going to move to L.A., make forays into the industry, try and, you know, break in do the do the hollywood thing uh which i'd sort of skirted around the edges of my whole career um and it turns out january of 2020 was a historically amazing time to move to los angeles to work in the film industry oh my goodness <laughs> oh no yeah so i had a great job for uh two and a half months um and uh actually i was working at lumaforge which is now an OWC company. They got bought by OWC <laughs> uh, later. And they still, it's, they make an amazing product and I was, yeah, I was happy to work there. But, uh, you know, it, they did on-premises shared storage, the market for which took a nosedive with COVID and uh, they had to downsize. And, you know, as the guy making all of the media for LumaForge and the most recent employee, I was the first to go, which, is totally understandable. I wasn't mad about it or anything. It's, you know, it's one of those life thing that happens and nobody else was hiring. So we ended up planning, okay, I guess we're going to move back to Utah into my in-laws basement, which this being the difference between Utah and Los Angeles was twice the size of our townhouse in LA. <laughs> I believe it. But uh, yeah, so I, I was not in a great place mentally emotionally and uh i just needed something to distract myself so i called up jonathan i was like hey you know that idea we had about talking about movies and mental health literally everyone on the planet is stuck at home watching movies and having mental health breakdowns we should capitalize on this because it's america and capitalism <laughs> <clears throat> uh so it was it was partially to keep me sane and partially just you know, neither of us really, well, I didn't have anything else to do. Jonathan was busier than he's ever been because he does most of his therapy through zoom. Um, all of it now. And, uh, uh, you know, obviously he was, he had clients stacking up to the heavens, but, uh, yeah, so that's, that's how we started. That's um, how you started. And that was in 2020. That was in in March of 2020, we started wow. making episodes. Wow. We started uploading in April. And uh, we did that for about seven months with very few people watching. And then uh, in late November, early December of 2020, the channel went from 
3,000 subscribers to 250,000 subscribers in five and a half days. Wow. And Bradley, you're, you're nodding your head yes. So when did you get involved <laughs> with all of this? And did you need therapy too? <laughs> Um, after I know I do. Can I, have, can I have Jonathan's email address, please? I'm gonna call him. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I haven't admitted that I need therapy quite yet, but I probably do. Uh, <laughs> everyone does, buddy. Everybody does. That's what they tell me. So, I, right around the time Alan came back from Utah and he was talking to Jono about the show, um, I was kind of one of Alan's go to people to ask technical questions. And, you know, this was something that they had originally done where Alan was filming himself and then Jono was, you know, in his own location and he was kind of filming himself. And then Alan was cutting these episodes together and they decided let's actually, it was like the first time I think that we thought like we had flattened the curve and maybe COVID was gonna be over. Mm. I don't know if we're on five or six of those now. Yeah, at least. But it, <laughs> it was around that time. So we thought, oh, you know, it's, summer's coming up and COVID's, you know, starting to die down. Let's, you know, maybe meet in person and, and, uh, and just have, it was basically just me, Alan and Jono, right? I, I don't know. If yeah. And people. like Megan, uh, and your wife, of course, my wife would stop by. Um, she's the producer of the show and the head writer, but yeah, I mean, those first couple of times we would just shoot for a day. Uh, and we were like masking in between takes. Do you remember that? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like, wow. you know, Brad's over in his corner with a mask on all the time. And then Jonathan yeah. and I would like take it off, shoot the episode, put it back on. I, we didn't know that didn't do anything, but well, at least well, it, it felt like trying. we were doing something. I don't know. You were trying. So sure. for, for people who have not seen the episodes, can you describe to us how it works and give us a couple of examples of movies and therapy together? How, how do you do that? Sure. Uh well, I'll I'll actually leave some of the technical description of how the show gets shot. Yeah, I'm gonna, to Brad, I'm going to ask you about workflow, and you know that's coming, right? Yeah, that's what you're so you are so. I tell you, Brad and I do a lot of interviews together on different shows, mm -hmm. and I'm always amazed at how how much you understand the underpinnings of technology. I mean, you lift up that hood, and it's like you know you lift up the hood of your car and Brad would be the one that would tell you exactly what every single wire is for and what it does and how it does it. Whereas I'm a little bit more on the, gosh, that looks really good. Can we move that light a little bit over to the side? So it, anyway. <laughs> and I'm the guy who's like, does it go vroom? I like when it <laughs> <Yeah>. goes vroom. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's so uh, the show is Jonathan and I sitting in a, a little home theater basement room uh generally reacting to movies we we do a couple of different versions of it some things are jonathan will watch a movie or see a movie character and like really want to do a deep dive and like a psychological analysis um and he's a, a therapist but he has a background in psychology as well and so we'll we'll do that obviously we would never uh, you know i would never ask jonathan to like diagnose a living person who he has not worked with, but with fictional people, we can do that all we want. So, uh, you know, we'll have him diagnose the Joker from the Batman series or mm. whatever. Um, so I some want, of the episodes, I want, um, Scarlett O'Hara in the gone with the wind. <laughs> oh boy. Hear, wouldn't that be a good one? That would be a good one. Especially she's now. Got problems. Uh, anyway, anyway go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so some of the episodes are like that. Some of them are, uh, uh, I will just have him react to things. Um, so, you know, I'll tell him a week or two before, hey, I'm going to have you react to these three or four movies. And then I'll pull a bunch of clips. And basically just, he, he's not super prepared coming in. And I'll just pepper him with questions of like, so is this healthy is this bad like ex i know this is a bad relationship why is this bad explain to me why these people are so damaged and uh, you know we both have a, a comedy background we actually were in a uh, a sketch comedy troupe together in college and so we try to make jokes and some of them work 
Uh, <laughs> and others make you cry. <laughs> and others make me cry. Others make the audience cry. This is and what editing is for. <laughs> correct. Yeah. 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 Oh, man. Nine tenths of the jokes only work because of the way they're cut. Um, but so, yeah, it's it's just us kind of. The, it's equal parts a lot of preparation and then riffing on mm-hmm. on just nonsense yeah there's a lot to talk about though when you think about the movies that are coming out and the different characters and how it would be interesting to see to take a character in a movie like a scarlet o'hara and talk about women in the day and mm-hmm. how how you know how that would be handled today that would that would be interesting to me, Bradley. Talk to us about the um, the actual workflow for. So, how do you shoot? How do you record? What kind of files do you get? And how do you edit it, et cetera, et cetera? Take us through that journey, will you? Sure, I will try to not go off on too many tangents. No, that's fine. I I like when you do the Uh. deep dive. And you know, we have two, two, we have a couple different kinds of people that listen to OWC radio. We have people who are just strictly creative, who love hearing the history of the people that we interview. And then we have a lot of people who are very technical and and they're going to get in there with with Brad and and go under the hood. And you too, Ellen. I mean, you're technical as well. But the two of you, they're going to want to go and and really hear you talk about how you do it. So if you could advise us on the workflow for, uh, well, let's just say this as a YouTube show that incorporates, I'm assuming, stock footage and um, clips and everything. Because, you know, I'm not a, I hate to admit it, but I'm not a subscriber yet. I'm I am going to subscribe though after this I'm realizing I'm going to need therapy after this interview. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. In advance. Scathing Sorry. scathing indictment of both Brad and I as guests. No, it's a scathing <laughs> indictment of me as a host. Um so okay, back to workflow because that's a safer subject. <laughs> sure. So I mean really this all started as a, you know, like, what can we do with the technology that both Alan and I have? Uh, mm-hmm. By this point, I think Alan had a 4K pocket cinema camera. I had a Black, Black Magic. Magic. Yep, pocket 4K. I had a 6K pocket cinema camera. And, you know, we just needed to figure out a third camera because we wanted a two shot of both Alan and Jono and singles on Jono and Alan. And that was just the recording side. But then you have to ask yourself the question of how do we monitor this? And because the pandemic uh, broke out and I was very uncertain as to what I was going to be doing as a video editor, I realized that trying to up the whole, you know, like many of us did, upping the whole remote workflow uh, was an important thing. And one piece of technology that had come out was the Blackmagic A10 Mini Pro. And that was a great way to monitor our cameras as well for this show. But I was thinking of using it more to be able to output video from my editing software and have anybody basically watch over a Zoom call or somewhere else right. uh, feed of that as I was interacting with them. But on Cinema Therapy, you know, it became our kind of multi-cam switcher and a way to be able to monitor all the cameras and be able to unify all the settings. And uh, that's kind of what I do on set. The next complexity to that so hang is, on before you, you know, moved before you move yeah. away hang on i'm going to interrupt you because you know me Go i'm going to have questions so sure. are, are you you guys are actually sitting together and you're engineering it locally in the same space that's correct okay. that's right yep okay that's that's very cool that's uh you know that's a luxury nowadays oh for sure yeah um a lot of people are having to have engineering that's actually helping remote in the background it's just so nice to have that personal in-person in the same studio as it were even if it's it's like me my studio is now my home so um, Hmm. but that's great okay so you're in the same room you've got your three cameras Mm -hmm. and go from there sure so we're inputting mics into the into the different cameras as well so we're actually not recording audio separately we're just going through and recording alan on one camera and john on another for the audio and then I'm monitoring audio and monitoring picture. And then Alan, you know, likes to add a, another complexity to it. Oh, we want to be able to watch clips and react to them live. Uh, how can you facilitate that? And how can we sync that? And that took 
a few different shoots. There's like two or three shoots. It took yeah, it took us nailing a, that down. Yeah, it took us a minute to figure out. Just you know, it seems simple, but it basically, uh, I was having issues where if I tried to split the HDMI feed, one side would be choppy, or we weren't getting audio. There's just you know those kind of technical troubleshooting problems. But what we landed on was bringing a MacBook Pro, playing the clips through DaVinci Resolve, uh, using a Blackmagic. This I'm saying Blackmagic a lot, but <laughs> they are solving a lot of our problems. That's great. That's no, for I, very little money, I like love shockingly <laughs> low amounts of money. Yeah. yeah so um, well, the, they're uh, definitely disrupting. Feeds. Oh yes, absolutely. The the Ultra Studio, the little Ultra Mini studio 3g box uh feeds the television mm -hmm. and then um i just do literally just a screen share because we're we just need it for syncing purposes and i use the fourth input on my on the a10 mini pro we have an iso now but i just use that fourth input to basically do a picture in picture so you can see the video and the timeline and you can see alan and that's just something we record for post-production to be able to sync it up. We've experimented with like live switching the edits, but to Alan's point about some of the comedy, our editors just really like to just take a fresh multicam and do the cut in post-production because so much of it is about making the show more succinct and I yeah. mean, not to call Alan and John out, but sometimes they rambled which is, you know, oh. we all, we all, as we all like editing. Sorry, touch my mic. <laughs> we all like editing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Live switching is tough. I mean, even the directors in, in the, in the trucks that are watching all the feeds, you know, that's, I guess that's why they invented the laugh tracks to sort of help bridge some of those possible mistakes you might make in, in timing. I've tried to, well, I have done a little bit of live production. It's, it's tough. So I think you're, you're, approaching it in just the right way it's very cool this is a real show this is uh, i love this it's like brad and i really quickly realized that we were making like because it's youtube it really has to have kind of a diy feel or it just doesn't feel authentic to people and people can sniff that on mm -hmm. social media really quickly mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm obviously manufactured authenticity is everywhere but people really like that authenticity which i you know i just did finger quotes which no one can hear but anyway uh <laughs> well we'll cut that for the social media clip perfect uh but uh so we brad and i really quickly realized we're making a relatively high production value tv show mm -hmm. and making it as diy like yeah, it's it's this weird blend between, you know, it's three guys in a basement making a DIY sort of cable access, you know, TV show. Um, or it's the most cinematic looking chat show on YouTube or <laughs> it's the least <laughs> professional chat show that would be on like an actual network. So it's yeah. it's just this weird <laughs> It's such a weird blend of we keep going back and forth on what actually the show is and how to define it, but it's well, we about, do a really professional workflow for it. Yeah, I was gonna say, how about just a really good show with people that are interesting to watch and who are having a good time dealing with sort of breaking through some of these difficult topics. I mean, sometimes humor humor really helps when you're going through hard times, you know? So I think it's it's great. So Bradley, back to the workflow. Okay, you're okay. you're directing. You have the three camera feed, mm -hmm. and uh, wh what are what do you what's the codec? What, what are you? What kind of files are you creating, and how are you editing them? I'm really curious about that. Are you so, in Final Cut? Uh, launch yeah, rant. So. <laughs> yeah, here it goes. No, I want. I love this. So, how are you recording it? What format are you recording it in? And is it 24-bit mono for each feed, or what? What is it? Is it okay? So the Blackmagic uh, A10 Mini has a fun little limitation built into it, which is if you hook your cameras up to it. Uh, it will only allow you to record Blackmagic RAW. Blackmagic RAW is fantastic. It's a great codec. Um, it, it is, is overkill for what we do. 
I love it, though. Over, you know, overkill. Bradley and I have had the argument about Black Magic Raw before. I think I like it better than you do. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> I, I, you know, shot a whole short film. It was like a 30-minute short film um, and color graded it, did it all in DaVinci Resolve. I don't have a problem with the codec. For the purposes of the show, the fact that we are we, we really want to monitor, we really want to take advantage of the control, like... I like mm -hmm. being able to hit record the record button on the A10 Mini and all cameras are firing away, stop and all cameras stop. And there's just not another hardware way to do that. But on the editing side, both Alan and I prefer editing in Final Cut Pro. Um, yeah. And Final Cut Pro does not have support for Blackmagic Raw. So there's this necessary step that for us, I mean, some people might listen, why don't you just cut and resolve? But we use a lot of plugins, we use a lot of effects, and we use uh, PostLab in our editorial workflow, which we can go over a little bit more, that works really great for us. So one kind of time suck is that we have to copy off our files and transcode them to, uh, to ProRes LT 4K, which is a perfectly adequate codec for our YouTube show. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could pick any like flavor or whatever, but that's that's great. For our show and it's great for final cut and uh and that that's that's the one area where i'm like oh there's a bottleneck and if just anybody from black magic and apple are listening please please make the nice guns. just make <laughs> nice shake hands give each other a hug they have they have a program that you just drag the files into and it converts them for you it's very fast are oh, you using that or how are you transcoding so so we've I've gotten killer speeds uh, export or rendering Blackmagic RAW to uh, ProRes just using DaVinci Resolve. Oh, okay. uh, you could yeah, use especially with the especially with the new update where it's taking advantage of all of the ProRes cores in the new Apple Silicon chips. Mm -hmm. uh, Resolve just screams. It's really mm. fast. Yeah, hmm. and and I can go over some of those numbers, but just just to bring up a couple other ways to transcode if you are in this situation edit ready will transcode to mm -hmm. b raw or from b raw right. to ProRes, and i believe color finale also has a solution and there's probably a handful of others the the crazy thing is when this year when i sort of took over took some more responsibilities and uh took over production post-production a little bit more before i was just helping with the shoots and shoving it all onto alan's plate to kind of figure out the editing oh the gosh. post we talked about it but i you know he didn't have the money to pay me back then, I guess. Yep. <laughs> and then the show got more popular. So now, yeah, I am now we can pay people. Work. It's great. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah, awesome. And we, and we definitely <laughs> want to talk about some of our team members. But just yeah. to finish this thought, um, the, the 2019 MacBook Pro, the last kind of Intel version, I had a pretty much top of the line version of that computer. And we had a day's worth of footage, which was about 15 hours be between the three cameras. Mm -hmm. We just rolled five episodes. They were all about an hour. And, uh, and that's, you know, 15. And that took on the 2019 MacBook Pro Intel model about 19 hours to transcode. And then I literally the next week got the... Uh, the 20 the, the latest model the m1 max and i ran the second day's worth of transcodes and that took i think about five or six hours hmm. it was yep. about the same amount wow. of footage and that's that's how much faster so there's your little apple plug but that's how much yeah. and resolve and so to me it's like this is the best way to go i well, haven't and we... done yeah we just did a, a another shoot uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and I just got my um, Mac Studio sitting here on my desk with an M1 Ultra chip, and that took it down to about three hours. How do you like the studio? I'm loving it so far. Yeah. Um, I've been a desktop user for a long time. I like to be able to like walk away from work. I feel like laptops follow me around and won't let me think. <laughs> Um, which is, again, I need Why therapy, you need therapy. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed and I'm coming from, you know, I upgraded from a 2017, 
uh, iMac, not a not a pro, just a maxed out, you know, vanilla 27 inch iMac, which was a great machine. And it, you know, it was five years old and it was still doing a very credible job producing this show in 4K with three cameras and doing all this stuff. And it worked fine. But this is it's it's a whole other world. Everything happens me... <laughs> like, you... immediately. Why do we always have to upgrade our equipment when what we have is actually working? <laughs> I have an iMac right? in the other room, and I, I use it all the time. But um, yeah, I'm time. I'm it's, on the Mac uh, Pro. Uh, yeah, and Mac Pros. I mean, you know, it's definitely a beefy machine. It can handle a lot of the same workload, but it just costs a whole lot more. <laughs> it costs so much. Yeah. And you know, I had a in in 2020, early 2020. I was working on one of those brand new Mac Pros and we had the afterburner card and all of that stuff. And it was great. Absolutely fantastic machine. It cost, I think, $12,000. And this Mac Studio on my desk, I upgraded a couple things. I think it's, I think it was like 6,000, 5,500. And it is so much faster than that Mac Pro was. Okay, now I do need therapy. It's weird. I, I'm calling Jonathan. Um, so, okay, back to workflow because I yes, love ma'am. it. Um, okay. You've got all these files coming in. These files are huge. If you're shooting that much um, the, on RAW, they're pretty big. But what what do you have around you for equipment? Are you using OWC drives or how are you handling the uh, the copies? Where are they going? Well, we, we actually, this is where we get to plug OWC a lot. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So uh, at the beginning for the first a little bit more than a year of the show um i was doing all of the post-production and obviously i'd consulted with brad a whole bunch on this and another show that i'd produced previous that was similar technically so a lot of the ideas were his but um i was cutting on that imac that we just talked about from a uh i have a a few year old uh, like a promise three like six bay raid that's mm-hmm. just sort of a workhorse, like a 40 terabyte raid. Um, but I also to, to get things speedy and have a fast cache. Um, I have an OWC Envoy pro, uh, like a two terabyte drive mm-hmm. where I had all of my cache files and library files. Cause final cut really likes speedy library and cache files. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've actually purchased one of those for each of our editors. Now we now have four editors who work on the show and they're all remote, um, a couple in Utah and a couple down in LA. Um, and they all have, uh, drives like that. We have a couple of OWC. What are those, those beefy boys we just got? We don't have any, the Gemini's. We have a couple of Gemini's that we use as sort of large shuttle drives. If we need to move, Mm-hmm. you know, an entire, cause like you were saying, they're, they're big files. Each shoot will generally do 10 to 12 episodes at a time. We'll shoot for two or three days, which is exhausting. Yeah. Uh, but that ends up being how many terabytes, Brad, would you say like seven, eight? Yeah, it's about seven or eight. And then after transcode, we cut that down quite a bit to what was it, the ProRes LT files. Yeah, I guess it gets so. down to about five ish so four, four to are five are you shuttling media if you've got these two terabyte drives you're recording to you're shuttling media and offloading it and then continuing or how many how many um so uh all of our remote editors actually just cut um 1080 h264 proxies okay so i was generating those uh and now that brad has taken over as our post supervisor he's generating those those all just live on post lab drive um, and our editors pull them down for the episode they're working on. Mm-hmm. They do their whole edit. Uh, and then it goes back to either Brad or I to do the final 4k online, mm-hmm. which is generally speaking, we just open the library from post lab, swap it from proxy mode to original media. Uh, sometimes we have to relink four or five files cause you know, things break, um, and hit export. It's, it's not a lot more complicated than that. Aren't we lucky? I mean, think about it. It's such a magical a time we live ago. in. Oh my gosh. Before post lab, what was life like? It was, um, I don't Remember know. Remember when we used to deliver to YouTube on Betamax tapes, Brad? Yes. 
<laughs> no, <laughs> I do not remember. I remember Betamax. I don't remember delivering to YouTube from it. Although probably there are probably some early YouTube channels that shot on. Betamax. Oh, I'm I'm sure there were people who like tried to mail it to, like mail a tape. Back in the days when people were mastering on beta for the libraries. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Wow. So you've got four editors. Two are remote. Two are in Salt Lake City. You've got Brad supervising everything. Or is Brad one of those editors too? Are you one of the editors too, I, Brad? I've not taken on editing an episode. I kind of yeah. It was offered a year ago, and <laughs> instead, the first editor that Alan brought on because I was like, well, I'm leaving for a job and. Also, I would be happy to post supervise, but I don't think I want to take on editing. Uh, we hired your friend, Trevor Horton. Oh, yep. Trevor. He's cool. The first kind of. Yeah, he was first the first. Editor. He was the first official editor. He cut the first. The first episode that I didn't cut was Trevor's. Wow. And he's much better at this show than I am. We can never go back to me cutting the show. <laughs> you know what, Alan? Do you did it bother you? Did it worry you actually to hand over the show to another editor to cut? Because I go through that. I, I have uh, Richard Taylor helps me a lot. If, mm -hmm. if I get bogged down and I can't finish editing a show, he's great. But I always when I give give my show even this little owc radio show to somebody else like i always wonder oh my gosh is it going to be just perfect the way i would do it but did you find that hard i uh no i so i've i've cut a lot of stuff that i've directed over the years um but i've also been fortunate enough to work on a lot of things that i was directing and and we had editors and I really love and appreciate having somebody come in and I totally get where you're coming from, Serena, with, you know, wondering, oh, are they going to do the job I would do? And the answer is no, they're not. They're going to do the job they would do. And that's why you find editors who will plus your vision. And that's mm -hmm. what we've what we've got on the show now is for editors who um, they've they understand the tone of the show that I set. And they've taken that tone and just really pushed it further awesome. and into different places than I would have even thought of going. Uh, and it's been, yeah, it's been really, really good. So. so you've created your family and you work with the same people all the time. I love that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been, for me, it's been a little bit strange because I moved from L.A. to San Diego and there's a whole different group of people here, so I'm making new for friends sure, here. Yeah. But, you know, when you're on a deadline with a lot of work like you are, it's nice to have recurring crew. And uh, you're, you're really doing a television show. Your distribution happens to be YouTube, but you're doing a TV show. Yeah. Have you yeah. thought about going to one of the streaming services or liking YouTube? We, we like the flexibility that we have with YouTube. Um, I'm not sure because of like everything that we do, we're, we're very covered by fair use um, in all of our usage of movie clips and stuff. But I mean, we're a movie based show. We have to show right. stuff. And, you know, if we went to Netflix or Amazon or whoever and said, hey, we want to produce the show here, uh, there'd be a million lawyers involved and they'd be like, Oh, we've got to clear this and we've got to clear that. And legally that is not true. We are covered by fair use because we're commenting on the stuff and it changes the nature of, of the underlying material. But all of the big companies want to play nice with each other, which totally makes sense. I don't fault them for that at all. It would just make our show really, really hard to produce. I think that being said, you know, if Netflix, backed up the money truck um it'd be hard to say no <laughs> so <laughs> if you're listening out there netflix executives i make a great show on youtube you should talk to me yeah i mean i think i can hardly wait to really dig into some of these episodes how is it working with megan on your show i mean if some husbands and wife teams do a great job together do you guys is this why you also need therapy <laughs> to keep yourself on the straight and narrow absolutely not <laughs> i uh megan and i have a really weird dynamic um well i'm i'm finding that it's weird a lot of from what I've seen, most married couples 
have like their separate lives and then they have their married life together. That's, that's that. And Megan and I generally, the more time we spend together, the more fun we have. Oh, that's awesome. So the fact that we live together, work together in the same house on the same show, we also co-write. We d it's borderline an unhealthy amount of time that we spend together. <laughs> I think but, it's uh, great. It works I think great. it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And that's, you know, the one if you could say that the one thing good that has come out of COVID is that it has brought family units closer together, even through the hard times. For a sure. lot of people are having a hard time with it, but but a lot of people are finding that, you know, homeschooling the kids created a whole level of communication between the parents and the children that you might not have had before. And, and um, you know, you, you spend a lot of time together and you start fighting and you get through the stuff and then you work it out and you've got a great relationship at the end. So yep. I'm trying to find something positive to say about COVID. <laughs> Maybe that's the one thing. I don't know. It's anything can serve as a catalyst for positive growth. Yeah. Victor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning obviously talks about how, uh, you know, the people who survived the concentration camps, arguably the worst human experience that's ever been, were able to learn and grow and become, some of them were able to learn and grow and become better people because of it. You can do the same thing with COVID, not that it's easy or good or we should all want to have a COVID happen every three years because this has been miserable for everyone. But, uh, you know, hopefully we can at least get something good out of it. Yeah. I got a great working relationship with my wife out of it. Yay. That's, nice. That's really and nice. 800 and something subscribers who hopefully are getting some help through the show. Yeah. What kind of comments are you guys getting? online from people or do you get you'd get direct messages or comments on your website our i gotta tell you the the thing that really keeps me coming back to do the show i mean i look i love doing the show it's fun i'm goofing around talking about movies with one of my best friends this is what i would do away from the show if i wasn't getting paid for it so this is great but the thing that really makes us come back and put in the the work because we put in a huge amount of work Absolutely. To, to make this is our comments section is maybe the most wholesome place I've ever seen on the internet. Aww. Like we, we do get trolls occasionally who will come in with a hot take about why we're wrong and dumb about things. But for the most part, it's a bunch of people who are kind, not just to us, but to each other. Um, you know, there's, they, we see things all the time where people share in the comments section of YouTube, Hey, I'm struggling with this. And 20 people will jump in with just like, Hey, we love you. We care about you. If you need help, you know, reach out, like we're here for you. And to see that over and over again is amazing. And then of course we get a bunch of personal comments too. Um, that i mean regularly we get comments that you know you helped me finally seek therapy and i'm dealing with depression for the first time or i'm dealing with my anxiety for the first time we've had uh, i don't know how many probably more than a dozen at this point reach out and say i was not like contemplating suicide but like was you know one guy wrote and said i was i was holding the gun and i thought about a thing I learned from your show and I didn't. <laughs> and it's just like, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we can't ever stop this, I guess. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's just incredible because so much of what we do, you know, the reason I got into movies is uh, I like action movies. Like I like watching things explode and big dudes punching each other. That's fun. <laughs> and it's still kind of what I want to do. Uh, but to have gone from like, you know, punchy, punchy, smashy, smashy to literal life saving moments for people is it's a weird, hard left turn for me. I think it's a little easier for Jonathan to swallow because, you know, he's been a therapist like this has been his stock and trade for 15 years from, you know, I've been doing reality dance competition shows and stuff mm -hmm. it's like that doesn't save anybody's life 
No, but when you see people helping each other like that, like what happened recently and is still happening in Ukraine, where all the people are yeah. doing the best they can at a grassroots level to go in and, and help other people, you realize that despite what the trolls might say online, that people really are basically good. Oh, the They're vast good. majority of people are very, very good people. Yeah. And yeah. we just need to not listen to the angry, noisy few and you know the world will be a much better place i think about i think about that a lot especially lately so bradley we didn't cover workflow very much what else can we talk about here are you what's the biggest, <laughs> i thought i went through what, the whole thing <laughs> what's the biggest challenge for you though now because you've moved from you know off the tracks was a labor of love for you for a few years and um i have the poster and i still have the t-shirt which i wear when i'm out walking once in a while people go what is that but it was a great film, you know, so now you're working. It's Randy Ubilis's head. That's what it is. What is that? <laughs> so, so for you, it's a little bit of a change, managing a team of people, even though you have done all of those jobs yourself. Is there something that advice you can give to other people who might be in the same position about what you might have learned? Just as far as transferring from kind of personal projects to working with a team of people. Yeah. And what skills did you have to develop to get better at what you're doing um, with Alan and Jonathan? Oh, uh, I'm terrible at dealing with Alan and Jonathan, but <laughs> it's, it's constantly just cats and dogs. I, I'm it's just yell a fight at you. all the time. Can Megan be in the room? so that we can get these guys settled down <laughs> keep, them Correct. Up, keep them focused correct We've got a show to produce here um no honestly it's actually the the show's really fun that we talked about in the early days how it's just like three or four of us in the basement but now we've actually moved to alan's basement and we also have an associate producer sophie um she's there to take stills and to help manage mm -hmm. live chats and to you know uh crack jokes off camera with me. Um, and then also David, uh, who is one of our, both Sophie and David are editors. Uh, and David's somebody that helps me out uh, with all the lighting, with all the sound, getting things set up, broken down, and, and also playing back clips and things when, you know, it just grows, everything scales up. And, uh, and the two of them are hilarious and keep us all entertained. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how much they would, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> There's they, a a disturbing manic energy when the both of them are in the room together. Yes, <laughs> I can believe it. I'm so, sitting here so we're wondering. Gonna spin off. Oh, you're gonna spin off a behind the scenes show, a comedy show. <laughs> well, yes, we're spinning off cinema therapy to cinema therapy after dark. There you go. Uh, thanks that's, to Sophie and that's uh, Sophie David. and David descending into madness with Jonathan and I sitting like in the chairs behind them, just like <laughs> cracking up the whole time. I'm sitting here wondering how you manage the audio because you're going direct to camera. Uh, yeah. How are you doing that? Through so this... we've Cadley. got two shock. <laughs> yeah, we've got two shotgun mics. We set a level for Alan. And then we set a much lower level for Jono because he projects. It doesn't yes. matter if we're in a small basement, we might as well be in a giant amphitheater. That man. He's he's always talking to the back row at, at freaking Madison Square Garden. Wow. And uh, it's just two like road and TG fours. Yeah, TG fours. Yep. Yep. I mean, we experimented with lab mics. We had some dropouts and issues and yeah. it just became easier to do that. I am monitoring those um, yeah. on my headphones, but generally we set a level so that if they get loud, it doesn't clip. And then uh, Nathan, uh, our assistant editor will, after I'm kind of done prepping a project, he actually does a audio duck pass between the two presenters and may, you know, adjust and fix, um, mm -hmm. you know, levels a little bit. Uh, and then we, we actually do a little bit of uh, pre-color, pre-sound kind of filters in Final Cut inside the multicam before editors even start to edit. That way, when Jono's reviewing and Alan's reviewing, we have something that uh, it's feels very nearly final. Yeah. Final yeah. Cut does a lot with I, I actually edit OWC radio using Final Cut most of the time. I mean, I yeah. have some plugins that help when we need it. 
but but Final Cut is a lot better at handling audio than some people think. That's oh, how I've fantastic. I've cut three different podcasts and I did all of them in Final Cut. I did found you? it a lot easier than than uh, you know trying to do it in Audacity or or um, what's what's uh, Pro Tools or Logic Adobe's, Pro or Adobe's thing that they do Adobe Audition Audition, Audition. Right? that's what I meant. Yeah, 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 I've I've found it easier than than Logic or Audition for just cutting. If it's just a straight podcast, it's so right. quick. Right. Okay. I have a question. Totally off the subject. The mm. the setting create space in sound on Final Cut. Do you ever use that? Uh, create no, space. I'm getting a blank. You're talking about you're talking about the surround sound panning. Yeah. Not for voice stuff. Okay. Because doing no. sound effects, I would. Because it depends on who's talking, but I use that a lot. I'll, I'll, oh, really? yeah, I'll huh. sometimes, yeah, I'll sometimes add some bass, but then I go in um, to panning and I'll use, try it just for fun. I use create space, but then I'll drag it up so that it's centered on top rather okay. than completely surround. And that seems to add some richness to the audio. Is that, is that a crazy thing to do? I have no idea. Interesting. I'm totally self-taught on all this stuff, so. I mean, the surround panner definitely affects the audio. Trevor, yeah. I've noticed, will play with it. Mm -hmm. uh, mostly what we kind of do is, and this is something Alan sort of set up, was that because Jono's you know, camera left and Alan's camera right, and they frequently talk over each other, uh, <laughs> Whoops. We, we slightly pan Alan off to the right and Jono to the left. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's subtle. I don't it's think It's like 15%, percent, it. yeah. Yeah, but that but it's helps. It's just enough to kind of separate yeah. them a little bit. Um, but I haven't, yeah, I haven't played for this. I haven't played with the surround panel a lot. I've done my own kind of like little trailers or spots, or uh, I've even done a couple indie films where I've actually taken the sound mix and run it through the surround panel and, you know, applied the different modes and adjusted the settings, uh, which actually was what I did for Off the Tracks for the 5.1 mix. Oh, did you? Uh, my friend who mixed it did it initially in stereo, and then he handed me stems, and then I panned them in Final Cut. Well, I really admire what you did with Off the Tracks. First of all, I think you did a really good job, and secondly, I like the way you were able to market it yourself. That's really hard, you know, when when you're running a small do, operation. Do we need to explain to your um, <laughs> listeners what Off the Tracks is? <laughs> yeah, like tell people what Off the shirt. Tracks is. And, it, and it's about. made tens of dollars. <laughs> actually it's done okay um so actually that's how alan and i met it so is rewinding the clock a little bit um alan and i are both in utah but we had not worked together and he we were semi-aware of who each other was through the final cut community on facebook mm -hmm. but we didn't have, meet until we were at a LumaForge event and i was already I'd already actually shot most of the interviews for the documentary, and I was showing the first 15 minutes of the documentary. And that day, Alan was volunteering for LumaForge at their NAB event. And the day I was going to show the first 15 minutes, he got sick and drove home. Oh, so no. <laughs> he did not watch the first 15 minutes of it. Nope. I then scheduled a meeting with him because he said, hey, I'd love to help you with your film. And at that point, he was like, I don't know what a a documentary about video editing software now that we're actually talking about what this film is it is about the uh the transition from final cut 7 to final cut 10 and the fallout that happened but also kind of the ground that apple regained in this final cut community which is kind of why we're all talking right now um yeah. and yeah. uh and so i showed that 15 minutes at nab i ran uh, when i got home i set up a meeting with alan he was like, I don't know what a, I mean, what were you thinking? It's a movie about <laughs> software. Like, what is that? It's be? I, I just didn't know, man. Cause all I knew about you, like, obviously we met at the, at the NAB thing and I was like, Oh, Brad seems like a cool guy. Uh, I still haven't seen any footage of his documentary. I'm dubious. <laughs> I think before the meeting, didn't you send me a link to it? Didn't you have it on like a private Vimeo or something? I just showed up or did and you watched it. Did you just show up and we watched it? That's what I couldn't remember. Yeah, we were in the room. Oh, that's I, right. That's right. Because I was, I was terrified. You came into my office and you sit down and you, you know, we pop this thing on and I'm like, oh boy, 
how is this conversation going to go if this is as bad as I expect it to be? Uh, I, by the way, had just come off of NAB, and that is still my best screening of the show because a lot of people had the same doubts Alan did, but we sat in a room, I think it was about 35 people crammed mm-hmm. into this um, hotel Little, conference like, room. hotel room, yeah. And and I roll this this first 15 minutes. And of course, a lot of the people that were in the room had were people I interviewed for the documentary. Yeah. And, uh, and that there was such an energy. And it was so I remember Chris Fenwick on his podcast in and Tony Gallardo uh, talked well, for like five raving about, about it. it. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I was fe- I was feeling so great, because everyone was just so excited to see this story that we all lived. Because yep. uh, it's really that's the secret. The secret is you don't make a movie about software. You make a movie about how people react to change. <laughs> that's right. that's the that's the story, not the the fact that oh the software can has magnetic timeline now. Well, okay, but how do people <laughs> react to that? And yeah. uh, and so I was confident. Like I knew Alan was a little like, oh, what am I going to tell this guy? But I was also like, just wait. You just wait. Yeah, so, I, so here's this it. very smug guy sitting in my office and he rolls this thing. Still smug. Still smug. Deservedly <laughs> so. Are you smug? I don't I don't think you're smug. I think sometimes you're just quiet. Anyway, go ahead. No, anyway, so totally, totally knocked me on my butt, right? Like I watched this thing and yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, you it's the feeling that I had. These are my feelings. Oh, I love yeah. this. This is so Were you great. in How the room when they announced it? Final Cut I, 10? I was I, there. I was in that room. I when was they announced not. It. I was working yeah. on a show with a bunch of avid editors. Oh, you know, yeah. Watching the the like live bootleg stream of the thing that was available. Yeah. And all these avid editors were like, "Oh, Final Cut's a dumb toy for dumb babies," and this just looks like iMovie, and you're stupid. And I was like, "Cool. <laughs> Enjoy working on your dinosaur." Machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I I actually um, started watching the beginning of it again, and it brought back all of these feelings of community and, sure. uh, you know, the good old days and how we've all come together. I mean, we've all met because of we have similar, yeah. um, you know, we have similar workflows and similar days and we do similar things and it creates a camaraderie that it's hard to explain to people that aren't well, in our business. And Final you know? Cut 10 did this weird thing where, I mean, you know, Apple faithful were always accused of being a cult anyway, <laughs> you know, people who like Apple products, but Final Cut 10 in particular, it felt like a cross between a cult and a secret society where it's like, <laughs> we know something that no one else knows and they won't believe us, but we, it's like, we're conspiracy theorists. Like it was just this group of crazy people. And then to see that put on film in such a remarkable way. So, uh, yeah. So Brad, um, promptly, you know, told me, okay, here's what I've got. I have these sort of five storylines and I'm thinking six, six. was it six? I thought it was five storylines. It was six. six, Okay. So yeah, I've got these six storylines and you know i kind of sold this and you hadn't even done the kickstarter yet had you you just filmed stuff uh because i helped you with we the kickstarter. were prepping yes we were, we prepping, were prepping for, prepping the, kickstarter. for the kickstarter so noah cadner of fcp works uh saw the 15 minutes uh right before i actually showed up to nab i through noah connected to randy ubilos who we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier if people aren't familiar with that name randy single-handedly wrote the first three versions of Adobe Premiere and yep. then went to Macromedia, created a tool called Key Grip with a team and then moved over the to Apple, Apple that was acquired by Apple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because Steve Jobs wanted, you know, these creative video editing tools and then they launched Final Cut in 1999. The rest is kind of history. He's also, you know, chief architect behind the Final Cut Pro 10. And, uh, and I just interviewed him and I hadn't really put a lot of his clips into the movie and, and Noah had seen what I was working on and said, I think you need to do a Kickstarter. So he started helping me figure out a trailer and a Kickstarter. And then Alan, you know, came on board around that time. I'd already been working with Richard Taylor on the editing mm-hmm. who we mentioned, you know, helps mm-hmm. you cut the show. He's a great guy. Um, 
Yeah, super great. So it just, it really started to become a thing that I started by myself. I approached, uh, you know, the Final Cut community and got them involved. That's the other beautiful thing about the secret society Alan talked about. Yeah. Is everybody is so helpful and they're easy to find on, you know, social media and they're, and they're so quick to help with Final Cut workflows. So I sort of leveraged that to my advantage because, you know, once people kind of had a flavor or taste in their mouth of what this could be, um, we, uh, we just started, started going crazy with it. And that's when Alan, the big thing I wanted from Alan and that we put our heads together was instead of having six little episodes that top cover each of these topics and kind of have a beginning, middle and end, how do I mush them together and rearrange the story so that we have three proper acts for an overall documentary because what i was selling on the kickstarter was, was i'm making a movie not i'm making a weird web series <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and that was my major contribution to the movie is yeah. not even that i cracked the story like you know common writer's parlance is you go into a room to break story right which mm -hmm. means you mm -hmm. figure out how everything's working i didn't break the story in that way i literally broke brad's movie like he handed me a copy of the the library and i just broke it into a bunch of chunks and i was like i think maybe something like this and then he came back a week later with my from my complete nonsense and he'd like disappeared for a week and he came back with like fever in his eyes and he's like i've solved it i took your <laughs> stupid nonsense and i made it good <laughs> not that but you gave me some ideas <laughs> and, and now I can do it. I no, honestly, to... someone breaking your film, like I, I won't throw you under the bus uh, in, the, in the same exact way, but I think about George Lucas and how he had a, a UK editor cutting his first version of Star Wars and he was cutting yeah. it to the script and it really upset George. And he's like, I'm going to take this. And of course he had Richard Chu and his wife and Paul Hirsch. Uh, who came in the, the very end to really like tighten up the movie and make it work. But George knew that it wasn't that. And in a way though, I think it's great for, for somebody. Cause I was connected. I shot everything. I was too, too you were close too close to it. to it. You were way too so close. So I needed and that's... somebody to give me a different perspective yeah. so that I could reorient myself and figure out the story. And that, that happened to be Alan. Yeah, I understand. I'm too close to mine. I've been working on the Purple Heart now for a few years and it's grown and changed and you're so close to it that it's it's hard to step back and, and be neutral about it. But tell people, if you're in an elevator, how would you describe cinema therapy on the way to the Oh penthouse? yeah, this was about cinema therapy. We totally hijacked. What? <laughs> <laughs> what are we no, talking about? No, you know what it's about? And it's perfect because it's about the love of movies, the love of our craft and our community and helping others. And, and that's what we all do. And that's what cinema therapy does. And appreciating the work that you did on Off the Tracks is just all part of that. So well, we're doing you. exactly what it's supposed to do. <laughs> And you just gave the best writer or something. Seriously, you just gave the best elevator pitch for my show that I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. So where do people go to learn more? Where do they see the trailer? In your words, though, describe it in your words, because I don't want to supersede what you were thinking. Oh, what? no, I just, you know, our, our tagline is making sense of life one blockbuster at a time. That's uh, nice. And that's what we try to do. We try to break down movies and movie characters into life lessons uh, that you can apply to your own mental health struggles. And you can find us, uh, the best place to find us is on YouTube. Just type in Cinema Therapy on YouTube and uh, we'll pop up. We have a little cartoon popcorn and soda guy running off into the sun together. That's us. <laughs> My um, kids love the popcorn and soda, by the way, especially my three-year-old. She, If I wear a cinema therapy shirt, she's like, it's popcorn, it's soda. Oh, um, dude, we need to get her. Uh, their names are actually Soda and Pops. Um, but we need to, <laughs> uh, I need to get her some plushies. We're getting little plush guys made. Oh, cute. Oh, nice. Yes. So who yeah. did the graphics, by the way? I saw that on your trailer and I went, who did those graphics? Uh, we have a, a graphic designer who's a friend of mine I actually worked with at an ad agency. He's 
I, th I think he's gone freelance now. His name's Eric DeWall. Mm. Um, but you can find him at Plastic Attack on Instagram. He's a phenomenal designer, particularly if you're looking for that sort of retro 50s, 60s cartoony, googie look. Like he's he's the guy. That's awesome. But yeah, find us on YouTube. You can find us on other social media. Most places we are at therapy underscore cinema. Uh, on Reddit, we're r slash cinema therapy. Cool. And what about Off the Tracks movie? Uh, off the Tracks movie dot com. <laughs> That's, That's easy. Where you can find the movie, and uh, there's an abridged version on YouTube. It's like forty nine minutes long, and the full movie is on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime or Vimeo OTT. And uh, yeah, I've. I was very active on the social medias when I was campaigning and all that stuff. Then I got busy on other stuff. So, but you can still reach me. <laughs> you can still connect with me through there. No, that's mm -hmm. good. Let's let's support both of you and what you're doing. So, your subscription service, right? Cinema therapy subscription service. In other words, uh, you subscribe to it to see all the episodes, or can oh they... no, no, I mean it's it's everything's on YouTube. Oh, okay. Um, we do have uh, we have our own membership site. If you go to thecinematherapy.com, mm -hmm. um, you can get ad-free director's cut versions of all of our episodes. Uh, most of them are longer. Some of them are quite a bit longer. <laughs> Whoops. Five hours or so. <clears throat> uh, they're, they're, uh, they may be slightly less kid-friendly on, on there sometimes. Mm -hmm. We also have a bunch of, so Jonathan, our licensed therapist, our resident licensed therapist, has created a bunch of relationship courses. This is the stuff he teaches in therapy, but presented in a course format instead of, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and he also does short, like two to three minute strength builder exercise things based on the movies that we've watched. He'll give you a little homework assignment. Look for this, this, and this when you watch the movie, and here's how you can apply it to your life and be a better person. Well, I'm going to start digging around in there. I really am. This is fascinating. Thank you both for being here today. You're both doing really amazing work. I admire what you're doing, and I love sharing good people with, with our audience. And I think that if you go to YouTube, find Cinema Therapy and OffTheTracksMovie.com and you'll, um, you'll just have a treat in both places. And remember everybody what I tell you every time, get up off your chairs and go do something wonderful today, even if it's in your own home right now. And thank you both very much. I'm Serena Catania. He's Alan Seawright and Bradley Olson. And you are listening to OWC Radio.